One, two, three, four. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 1 of the NetFunctures Photoshop Podcast. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of the Nutbuskers Folk Shop. My name is Stu. My name is Phil. And I'm Stork. And there's three of us now, what, not just one. What What happened? I hate talking to myself. Since when? Actually, I love talking to myself. <laughs> so now we have to listen to you talk to yourself? Well, basically, he brought us here to listen to him talk to himself. <laughs> You're not lying. <laughs> no, I, I wanted to bring more people in because I want the show to be more than just a couple of songs. And So today we have for you a couple of songs. <laughs> We're also going to talk about some nonsense. <laughs> We're very good at that, right? Uh, let's let's do, let's do the first song. The first song is called "Will Ye No Come Back Again." Yes, uh, and we were originally going to do this in Celtic Squall, mm-hmm. but I don't think we ever got it recorded. We may have gotten a little bit recorded. I don't remember. We rehearsed it and did it live several times, but we right. never actually got it down. And Celtic Squall is a great place for a song called "Will Ye No," because that's actually what it's called. It's you know in the right. Scottish brogue, so. Yes, yeah, so it was a heavy Scottish brogue. But as I as as uh, I saw the song um, on YouTube and I was researching the uh, other versions of it, I found that this is a very sad song that actually has a, a very interesting history behind it. And so we no longer even would even try to do it that way. Would you like to know the history of yeah, it? Yeah, well, yes. You've way to tease it. We're Go. gonna get it. We'll, we'll get the pattern down. Don't. Yeah. It, it'll happen. Right. It'll happen. I didn't want to just like take over because I could do this for a half Go. hour. Just Go. Talk about it. All right. Go so, for it. So first, the earth cooled. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Then James the dinosaur Michener came, here. That's, right. that's what Jim Mitchner starts out all of his books that way. That's for the airplane. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the Zucker brothers did that one. Um, where was I? So, um, all right. So Australia. So <laughs> that's right, Australia. And Australia is entirely people with criminals. <laughs> so I I could do that role now. I'm finally old enough, yeah, I know, and, right. and angry enough, and fat enough to do it. So um, for those who don't know, what we're talking about that was from. Um, we don't want to have copyrighted there, so they, oh, they don't Moving know they figure it out. Our Moving first on. apology to the Australian people, right? <laughs> right. For quoting a movie from doing That's a movie right. quote about there them. are no longer people with criminals. Most of them escaped. Um, <laughs> There's that famous went line. back to Ireland. There's that know? famous line when uh, I forgot the actor. Uh, oh, he's from New Zealand, um, and he was going into Australia, and they said, "Do you have Do you have any criminal record?" He says, "Oh, I didn't know I needed one to get in here anymore." <laughs> Is that Taika Waititi? No, no? It's, it's the guy that played in Lord of the Rings, and he's playing in The Boys, and he played uh, McCoy out oh, yeah, of the that new guy. Star Trek re- reboots, and so, his name, I can picture him, and it's, anyway. So we're doing very well at information here, because we can't remember anybody's name. Yes, or we're old men. We're Getting old back men. to Will You Know Come Back Again, which is a Scottish song about, a very sad song about the, the loss of uh, Bonnie Prince Charlie. So let's, let, I'll take you back. So there's, there's this period of history in England uh, where you had the Tudors, and the Tudors, of course, Henry VIII famously split with Rome. Uh, no, so now you no longer had Catholic England, you had the Church of England, England. Right. Um, but there were plenty of Catholics still living in England because you can't just turn it off like that, apparently. So, uh, oh, they tried. They, yeah, oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> right. Mary Mary comes in, and then, and then she's killing the, the Protestants, and then Elizabeth comes in and says, we're not killing Protestants, we're now... Killing no, Catholics. T- telling the Catholics. Well, she yeah. didn't kill the Catholics, but she told them to shut up. And uh, <laughs> most of them went back to Spain. 
So uh, now we're in the 1700s, 1750s, and you had the grandson of James II, uh, who was the last Catholic king of England. This was after, uh, This is now we're in the Stuart line, okay? So Elizabeth's right. dead. James I is, is a Stuart king from Scotland, and then his... Then you had Charles, and then you had the Civil War. Now we're in James II. He converts back to Catholicism, and England goes nuts. So they had what they call the Glorious Revolution. You have William come in from, from Northern Ireland, Protestants, Protestants, and James is gone. He's not killed, but he's sent away. His grandson is this Bonnie Prince Charlie who's going to come back and, over, believe it or not, in England during this Hanover line of German kings, which we are still part of, um, we're talking about the Georges, George the first, George the second, George the third. So you had this Catholic grandson who was actually trying to to invade England and take the crown back. We haven't seen that since Shakespeare's ten sixty six, yeah, since uh, the the Wars of the Roses. So now you have this guy; he's actually going to invade England and take the crown back for the Stuarts. And for some reason, in Scotland, uh, they loved him and they wanted they wanted him back. They didn't care much for the German kings. They, I'm sure, they have their reasons. So. None of it worked. Uh, he got an army together and managed to win a, uh, win a couple of battles, but then the full might of England went against him. He could not win. He realized he couldn't get enough people together, and he left Scotland. And after he left Scotland for the last time, somebody wrote this lovely song about, Will you, are you going to come back? Can't we try it one more time? Are you really gone for good? So it's a very sad song about the end of an era of this Jacobite uh, revolt to try and take England back. Yeah, I was going to say, just to be clear, for those mm-hmm. who, that are listening to this on a whim, what the hell is the Jacobite? What the hell is a Jacobite? Jacobite, well, so if you're looking at James II, who was the last king uh, of of the Stuart line before he was kicked out, uh, the Latin name of James is Jacko, Jacko something, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. So, Jingleheimer Smith. Jingleheimer Smith. So the Jacobite. That's where that song, that's a Jacobite <laughs> yes, song too. It is. <laughs> so it's the, la- the Latin it's my version. my name too. The Latin version of James uh, is where Jacobite comes from. But anyone who's a Jacobite is is uh, a support of the Catholic uh, grandson of James II. Because there's a lot of songs out there from there that talk about Jacobites by name and, and all of that. And it's also worth noting that a lot of Jacobite songs, maybe most of them, I don't know, were written a long time after these events. A lot of these that, songs were written weren't contemporary songs because at the all. Scots don't forget anything. Yeah. <laughs> they're still fighting this fight. That could be, but the French as well. They're still mad at Agincourt. So yeah, right. <laughs> they are. We still we still mad at the French for for um, selling less of Louisiana because yeah. everything we built and forgiving us into the swamp and forgiving us that statue that turned green immediately. <laughs> <laughs> we thought it was made of gold. Yeah. it turned my finger green. It turned the whole the whole thing turned green. <laughs> all right, so uh, let's go ahead and play that song. Bonnie Charlie's no away Safely o'er the friendly main Many a heart will break in twain Should he not come back again Will ye no come back again Will ye no come back again Better love ye cannot be Will ye Trusted in your Highland men, they trusted you, dear Charlie. They can't you hide in the glen, but your Clinton was barely. 
Do you want to talk a little bit about the recording of it? Yeah, I always find that that interesting. I mean, we've talked about this before, before we came on. Like, um, we as musicians sometimes just don't think that the recording process is very interesting, so we never really talk about it. But I actually think that people find that part interesting. So, like, the way we record and even what we choose to record and how we arrange this, I think it should be just touched on a bit. Okay. Even though, even though it just seems boring to us. So, um, Stuart is an amazing arranger. And so when you, Phil, found this song, you uh, sent him, I think, what, the original Strange Melody, just Straight Melody that you found? Well, he, he sent me he, he sent me the chords for it, and I went online and I found someone who had already transcribed it. Because so I don't have like having to transcribe stuff by ear. It's a pain in the neck. And there's nothing wrong with that, because that's a starting point for you. Yes. Right? And from yeah. there, you can then just take it and... And I, I moved the key to where I thought it would fit well, and then I did the arrangement, and I sent him an MP3 of the arrangement playing. And, and, and how did you decide on the key then? I mean, is it just you just realized... By knowing that, his voice. Okay. Well, <laughs> see, that's... I mean, it's... Yeah, but I mean... You're you're a tenor-ish. I mean, you sing first first baritone now in the Boggards, but right. but you started life as a tenor. You so <laughs> probably started life as a soprano. I would say most people start life as a tenor or above. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, so I, I, very few babies cry. But I I, I looked at where I was the never hi- a ten. I was really more of a five most of my life. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a tenor above. I put. Um, wow. I'm sorry. Take me a second. Sorry. Um, I, I basically looked at the highest notes in it. I'm like, can Phil sing those notes? I don't think he can. I'm going to try the key down a little lower. I'm like, and, and it still it goes above the the top ledger line. Yeah, but know? that's so negative. Can't you say it the other way? Which is, you know, he can sing higher. He can do better. Let's move it up. That's not what happened. Okay, <laughs> but, and, but that's it. But you're singing a G above two Gs above middle C. In it. Okay, and you also had to arrange it for three voices too, which right. is also slightly. So then I have to worry about the lower limit of mm-hmm. you know although this is all miked so yeah. i'm not as concerned about normally for basses on when we're singing on stage i want to keep the basses pretty much no lower than a g which is the bottom line on the bass clef 
Um, because any lower than that, you guys can hit the notes, but you can't project them. No, you cannot hear it. No, right. no. But if you're on it's a microphone, true. you can get up close and get as low as you want to get. Right. Like yeah. Jeff Castellucci and get all the way down there. Right. <laughs> but I'm, yes, I get that. And it, but that's an important thing because there are a lot of people that arrange songs sometimes and they don't, they don't know or don't consider Andrew Lloyd Webber people's ranges <laughs> when they actually are able to sing and actually able to hit. Right. Phil is shaking his head. Uh, yeah, that disgust. guy. Oh, that guy. It's rude. It's oh. just rude to arrange songs like that for people and expect them to be able to sing it right. Or just suddenly changing the 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 uh, time signature to nine eight. <laughs> well, sometimes guilty of it too. But still, it's it, there's a, there's a key to that. And this you is know f- what this this song about New York gangs needs <laughs> a slip jig. <laughs> <laughs> that was Bernstein, but yeah, Sorry. and he's jazz. So yeah, there, I don't I don't think he stayed in any one meter for any more than like eight measures at any point in any of that musical. Yeah. But. Uh, but anyway, it, that, and again, that's an important thing to consider. And this is a folk tune for three guys, and it's really kind of a sketch that we've done and yes, arranged yeah, and set the, up these are, these are not... Um, well, the plan, again, will be, once we've done five episodes, a season, whatever that is, uh, we will collect those songs, polish them, go through if we want to re-record anything, anything we want to add, put it in, and then we'll release them so they can be streamed on all the streaming services and purchased on all the purchasing services. So. And flesh them out and polish yeah, them up and make, exactly. them, make them more interesting. Yeah, what you're hearing right now is basically just sort of like a skeleton of the song. Oh, this was recorded in like two hours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I don't even know if it was two hours. I mean, we rehearsed for probably an hour, mm-hmm. the two songs, and then we came in here, and I bet we were done. I mean, except for bass, because I did bass after you guys left. Right. But, it, but except for that... I don't think we were in here in the studio for more than an hour. Now, okay. Stu and Phil and I have Two all songs. have worked together now for Phil, Phil 20 years and Stu and I have 30, 30, 40 years. We've known each other. So we actually were able to sit down. Let's Stu, keep it at 30. Stu 40, knows this really it's well. It's going to be 40 soon enough. And so we were, able to, we were able to rock this out pretty quick because yeah. um, we all know each other really well. And I know Stu's yeah. arrangements like the back of my hand. And yeah. So yeah. all of this stuff fell into place really quickly. But you, if you're arranging a song, sometimes the rehearsal process takes much, much longer than you would think or like. And it's important because that's where all the work is. Oh, sure. The actual performance part took all of 20 minutes, you know, with stops and starts and getting it down and you're done. But it takes two or three hours to hammer out all of the little nuances and get it all working in order to make it to that. And that's not including my rehearsal time on the Zook and the bass, which happened before you guys even got here. It's an it's an inter- I'm going to derail for a second. It's an right. interesting phenomenon. Like we always see the end product, we always see the finished product. When you go see a show, you see the finished product. What you don't see are the hours and hours and hours of work that it takes to get there. Right. You go see somebody singing a song and they're up there on the mic, and Michael Bublé or whatever. You don't see all the rehearsal behind there. You don't see the piano player figuring out where they're going to fit in. They're going to figuring out the breaks. It's a long, laborious process, and that's where all the work is. Right. Getting up there and doing the show is the easy part. It's all of the stuff that leads up to it that is really, really difficult. I'll give you a story. So my oldest brother, uh, Jeff, is a drummer. And when he was a kid and he was playing drums, he thought he was good good enough. You know, he's 10 or whatever it is. And so he meets Buddy Rich. And he's Buddy Rich, of course, is the master. And he's and he, and he and said, a famous asshole. And my mother was famously <laughs> saying to Jeff, uh, you have to practice more. When are you going to practice? I don't need it. I'm good. I don't need to practice. So we went up. He's going. I'll prove to my mother that these geniuses don't practice. How many, Mr. Rich? How many hours a day do you practice? He said six. He said six. Jesus. Yeah. 
Yeah, every day. And he says, well, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna be great, you gotta get there. You can't. You know, nobody's born and great. stay there and stay there. Yeah, being a musician is very equivalent of or very similar to being a professional athlete. Yeah, you can't just not go to the gym and right. practice your your you know your gymnastics routine. Your muscles will fail. You're gonna forget your space. You're gonna get flat. Your, your sense of balance falls. You die. And musicians are constantly working on their chops. We like to think of Keith Richards as being a complete and total wastehead, and yet he knows his job well enough and, and noodled around, even stoned, that he was still able to produce music on stage that was mm-hmm. fine. Sure. Um, I, I I think people forget that. I think they think that musicians just sort of walk in, hit the stage, and go. And it's more than that. There's, there's oh my god, it's I mean, so I, many, I, so I would, many hours of practice. I would work. love to show if, back in the day when I would write my lyrics by hand. I'd love to show you the the original copy with the crossouts and the oh. things missing and the this goes here. And, and that's all goes, gone now because everyone does everything online. Now so I just, just yeah. backspace. Yeah. yeah, I just backspace now. I somewhere I've got a couple of books where I've written lyrics and you can see like um, safe word and I think somewhere I found drink till I die the original shitty verses I originally wrote for that that are oh, no. just get all scratched out and rewritten. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's it, the kind of stuff that sells for millions at auction if you're John Lennon. It's true. And as a musician... It sells for tens. As a musician, me. you have yeah. to do this yeah. a lot on your own time. Oh, yeah. You know, you're not... It, it, you cannot inflict that on your group to just show up and then you start practicing. It's like, you should show up with... Knowing the chords and knowing the song, so that right. you're not wasting everybody else's time doing this. It's yeah. which we always do. <coughs> <laughs> if you get to be a good enough musician, there are, there is a level of musicianship where you are so good at sight reading and so good at your instrument. You know, people that play in orchestras, you you know that you, but they still practice. Yeah, not well. It depends. Some some people rely on their on their um, sight reading. Yeah, uh, a little too much. Yeah, and to the point when they go in to record they haven't really put much thought into how they're gonna do it they just got they got the notes right but all of the rest of the performance that goes into it they had to figure out there and that's time consuming because I, I record in here and i record a lot of bands and i see how people record i'm not gonna name any names <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but it, there i've seen people who uh don't have like those sight reading skills tr- like work very hard to make sure that they're come in as prepared as possible uh, and take less time than people who have a more intrinsic talent and, and, a, and a larger skill set. I've seen it. So yeah, not so, that I'm going to name names. But anyway, that's I mean that's I think an interesting part of of the creation of music. And then everybody's got different levels of aptitude when it comes to music, or even just sure. different levels of skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our band alone, we've got people that literally majored in music and were professional musicians for a while, and then people that just sang in choirs or right. you know, a, a garage band once or twice. And th- it's a desperate. You set got, of skills. You got musical theater. You got, and you, you know. and, but we all meet in this middle yeah. For, yeah. that make the boggards. And I think that that's also something you run into musicians who are, you know, there's the Jacob Colliers of the world who are really, really good at music. They're just thinking music, and they don't have patience for people that don't think that way. They don't understand why it's hard. Right. Oh yeah. Because music is hard. Right. <laughs> Some it's people like, find it's like it when easier. I talk to you about drawing. Yeah, it's just yeah, I get it. I get it. And I'm always envious of the people where music's just easy. Right. You know, it's like that scene where where, where Mozart is playing for Salieri and right. he goes, "Oh, did you ever think of this?" And he tries more chords. Oh, it's, yeah. it's inf- instantly and better. Instantly and then from here it just yeah. goes on oh, and no, you can I mean, figure out where it's going to go. Right. Yeah. And you're like, "Oh, it's a little <laughs> bastard." And right there on the spot he's creating Figaro. And, right. And, right. and, and Salieri's like Mother- and and Salieri is cursed with the ability to realize what Mozart just did was better than what he wrote. Yeah. Right. But he didn't wasn't able to come up with it himself. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's the curse of of not being a genius and still loving music and being in a band with them. Yeah. 
Right. <laughs> but now, wait a minute. So, uh, A Diamond Ring, our second song. This is a brand new one that uh, is w- w- written for the Poxy Boggards. We haven't even rehearsed it yet. Written by Stuart Venable. Written by me. Uh, this this song is kind of a... Um, it's kind of... A, I would call this part two of a musical series of songs. And I would say the first song of this would be Safe Word. Because it's a similar, kind of a similar story. Okay. It's a, it's the, the befuddled guy who meets the worldly woman who's into all kinds of crazy stuff. And he's just sort of a Luddite. It's like, what is it? You know, because Safe Word is, if you're not familiar with the song, it's about a guy who meets a woman who's a do- dominatrix, and he doesn't even know what that is. Right. right. So, Completely blindsided by this right. whole kink that which he had. Re- which really career. fits in with sort of the boggard sort of onstage... Persona? Persona, yeah. which is that we're a bunch of dumb... Not world weary people. Right. We're just sort of. We fail. <laughs> we're lunkheads. <laughs> we fail. We constantly right. fail. And and so, and and so, safe word was was taking that thing, taking that sort of caricature Cons- conceit, of a boggard. Yes. And and introducing something extremely kinky. <laughs> right. And it cre- And I think song wise, song wise, I think hilarity ensues. Oh yeah. yeah! Oh well, and you can and you can spot in the audience who might be into that into that into that yeah. thing right. when, yeah. when they hear this the word safe word that you can see their eyes perk oh, up. Oh yeah, like, right. Oh, this is my song. They say right. Um, and, and Diamond Ring is this is kind of more of like a one-upsmanship song because it's and and we left one of the verses out because uh, there's only three of us and there's only verses. three of us. Um, so. And, and in this song, it's more like people talking about this weird kink that their their woman is is into that they're not, or that they or they're not that they're discover the, the things they've discovered about this woman they're into, and and so I mean you'll hear the song to to get that, but it escalates, both comedically and in grossness. Right. <laughs> So then, my question is: If this is a part of a trilogy, do you have the third one? I in... don't know if it's a trilogy. That's why I said series. Oh, okay. I don't know. Probably. Okay. Uh, probably. Because okay. I think. I mean, on on our the comedic lines that our songs tend to branch off of, this one is a good one mm-hmm. as far as comedy factor and laughs and mm-hmm. audience acceptance. Mm-hmm. This this. It, if this song is any works anything like Safe Word did, it'll probably end up in in our set. Right now, who knows what song is going to resonate with the audience? We never know that ever. And we I've, have songs that we thought would become amazing, and yep. they just fucking fall flat. Uh, we talked about this once years ago, and it's like, who knew that I wear no pants? Something you wrote in twenty minutes, right, in your underwear, would be arguably our biggest hit. I don't know if I. Okay, you, I wrote I'll say I, I will say I will say I what I heard. Um, <laughs> you weren't there? No, well, not that night. No. Oh. Um, but he uh it, and it arguably is the one that made has made you the most money. Uh, that is our <laughs> biggest song by far. Yeah. And and Stephen told me uh who's also in the band, he, he said, "I remember when we just should we try it on stage? Yeah, we'll try it yeah. on stage. I mean, we'll we all, I don't want to say it didn't make the album, but, but we were like, really, this doof, yeah. goofy oh, no, little we song? Made, eh. We have a low bar once we make that's, the album. That's yeah. <laughs> but as far as what's going to be on a re, in a reef set, especially yeah. mid set, yeah. those are always we always try to put our best songs in that sweet spot. We always end with well, 
lately we've been ending with Drink Till I Die, but there mm-hmm. used to be two or three songs we would end with. We'd also end with Good Ship Venus and sometimes Bangalore Lulu. And there was one other one we used to end with too. But there was like three or four songs we would end with. And then our sales people, our merch people said, always end with Drink Till I Die. Yeah, what's wrong with you? Because it sells this CD that that song's on. The <clears throat> sales we... increase, everyone walks away a little happier. Right. So. so we always end with that song now, which we mean, I mean, that, that's probably, that may change at some point in the future. But, um, all the and the, usually we use the first song as sort of the test spot, like like if we have a new song and we want to see what the audience reaction is going to be, we put it right up front, which it, and if you think about it, seems very counterintuitive, because it's like you want to because with any sort of creative thing, you want to grab your reader or your listener first thing. Right. If you think about novels, what they always tell you, you want to start with a chase or start with a fight or start mm-hmm. with some kind of action when you start a novel right up from the very beginning to hook the reader in, to suck them in and get them, get them interested in what's going on. And we're using that spot in our show as the experiment spot where, eh, I don't know if this song's going to work or not. Yeah, let's, uh, open no, let's, let's open let's with it. Let's open with it. Let's go ahead and yeah. let that be our <laughs> very first impression. I think of it this way. How which many- is... If you think about it, it's madness. Yeah. How, many, it, how many rock concerts do you go to, or even if they have a new album, where they start with a song from the new album? They'll play a hit first. Right. Get the audience all riled up, then they'll start playing. Well, so explain why you think that's a good idea. It, the reason we do this... <laughs> that's a good point. I, I will. Okay. And there is, a, there is a good reason why we do this. Our show, from remember, we got fired in like 1999 or 2000, right? Mm-hmm. We got not brought back because... We weren't drawing enough people to our to our shows. At the time, we had we were doing a lot of madrigals. Mm-hmm. We had some original stuff that was upbeat. We had a script. Yeah, um, it was a pretty <clears> funny <throat> script. A cu- one of them was. <laughs> I was told. I was like, I, I remember. I can't remember who it was. It was. Joe Derry. It's Joe Derry. Said, Joe Derry. I wish you guys would do the funny show. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I think, I think he said, "Yeah, what show are you doing today? Oh, we're doing the second one. Or we're doing the first one. Oh, good, the funny one." <laughs> and, that's, and then Stu was like, <laughs> "Wait oh, a minute. That good note. That's, good to know. Okay, Thank right. you. That's messed up." So then, so and our audiences wouldn't be tiny, but it would mostly be participants. There yeah, wasn't a lot of customers, paying customers, and that's really who they're paying you to entertain. That's our job. So they got rid of us for a year, and when we came back the next year. I threw out everything. Yep. No more scripts. I said, we're only going to do upbeat songs. We're not going to do any madrigals anymore. And and we're going to do more modern sounding music. And, and gotten a lot of criticism from that from people over the years for mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm. But there was a real good reason why we decided to change the way we were doing it. And that was because we got fired. <laughs> <laughs> and it's about putting butts in hay bales. And if we wanted to work fair, we had to change the way we were going to do right. our show. Sure. Right. So because what, we are storytellers, not reenactors. Right. Right? More or less. And it's about putting butts in hay bales, about right. giving the audience what they want, what's, what's accessible to them. Yes. That's what keeps you in their employ. Mm-hmm. So... What we started doing is we, at this point, we'd been doing it for five, six years. 94 would have been our first fair, and this was 99, so five years, about five years. So we had a catalog of music. We had recorded one CD, and I think we already had our, may have had our second CD by then. So at this point, we've got close to 40 songs, which is a nice chunk of music, considering the fact you're only going to do 25-minute sets. Right. So you're only going to need six or eight songs anyway. So what we would do is I'd put together, I'd go through all the songs that we knew, and I'd put together a set that I thought would go well. 
and then we would do that set in front of the audience. And if people got up and left during a song, that song would never get done again. Yep. And and then we kept doing that over the course of that year, and the, the little tiny stage they put on us, which they used to sell windmill, those little paper windmill things. Yeah, it's a windmill stage. <laughs> Remember that stage? Yep. That's It was a pallet. It was a, oh, right, yeah. a series of pallets with yep. a thing that looked like a windmill behind it. And uh, we had maybe eight hay bales. Yeah. And people would stand in the back and we would basically start causing traffic congestion because it's so many people would sit and stop to watch us play that they couldn't get between... One the, part of fair to the other. Yeah, we were literally yeah. like, yeah, the Queen's Guard like couldn't make it row through. was over here and the clothiers were over here. And they here. started to complain to fair. And fair's like, well, you guys are causing traffic jams. You're like, well, yeah, it's a bigger stage. So the next year <laughs> they came up with Rogue's Reef. And Rogue's Reef, and, but we continued the same. That's when the, that's when things got dirty. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they said, this is going to be an adults-only stage. That's when we added Lulu and And that was the key. That was when we really yeah. figured out what our... what Because we, we, were, we were already there, but we were trying to keep it within a certain genre constra- and keeping it historical and we had, we had constraints. Constraints. but once the guardrails came off that's yeah. when we really hit our stride and the dirtier it got the bigger the audience got literally I can remember yeah. just as a side note to the story seeing people this is out on an island it was like a it was, it, the, the, the place that we had had this little bridge and came out to an island they had this a beer Glen, stand this out is there. at Glen Helen Park and there were, there were two yeah. th- there were a couple of things that happened first of all that beer stand never made money because people didn't know it was out there it was a little stage, and they had the beer stand. You had that to was cross it. this bridge and go down this path to get to this area so, where the ale stand was, so that no one could see it. So they right, decided right. to stick us out there, and we'd be the dirty dirty group. Now, when you're singing over a lake, your voice carries, <laughs> apparently. So what would happen is we were bellowing, and we're a loud group, yeah, we especially are. back then. People started coming down the, the route. What's that noise? And then, and then they started buying beer, and then they didn't leave. And so this place was standing. I remember at one point looking out, and people were literally, it was just a sea of heads, and people started to fall into the water. That's, and Gerald came. There were came. a few times where, because it was, it was a, a constructed island on this mm-hmm. on Glen Helen Lake, or whatever the name of that lake is. And and it, so it was concrete going up to a ledge. <laughs> it's like and, it, and I think twice in that first year, people f- like didn't think about where they were and it was so crowded that people would either step into or literally fall into the lake. It's true. It happened and, a couple times. And the general manager fair came by. They, they would always look at the shows or whatever and they came by and I can remember looking out of the audience again at another particular time. And, and this is a sea of people. A sea of people. No music group was pulling a sea of people. Well, you got to the punchline right. before I was going to say right. but he literally sat there with his eyes open and his arms crossed and he couldn't believe it and they pulled you into the audience afterwards and said I have never in my entire 20 years of doing fair seeing right. a singing group draw that many people that has never happened it's unprecedented and it's because Stu had been taking this time to curate the sets mm-hmm. and then when they took the guardrails off we were starting to give the audience what they wanted what they craved people people were coming to us we weren't going to them and they then would tell two friends and the next thing you know after about yeah. halfway through the run of fair that island was packed every day every and the show. ale stand thanked us because they were they, would, <laughs> they were doing up. in a day what they yeah. did the previous season yeah. In sales. yeah yeah so they would have like four lines 10 deep mm-hmm. all day long and it was things like uh again uh steven was in the fair i was in grad school steven was in the fair at that point wasn't the band yet he was in country matters mm-hmm. right and he said to me uh he says whatever happens we've got to go at one o'clock you got to come with me at one o'clock we got to go see the boggers and i said the who no, not the who, the boggers, right? So he's, so uh, people were like, people were saying that people were working their schedule around seeing a boggers show. Uh, people have been going to fair for for ten years, and uh, that was it. Next thing you know, he's in it, 
and the next thing you know, I'm in it. So to get to get back to make a to get back to why I originally started on this whole thing, the reason why we put unknown songs first in the set is because we don't want to screw up right the rest of our set because now we know what we're doing. And, and that's what I that's what I assumed. I wanted right. you to answer, but you get a momentum going, and our shows really do ramp up to the very end. Yes. You get people literally salivating at the end, of and the for show, some reason, shouting. the way we. Putting a song they've never heard before, especially telling them, this is a new song, yeah. we're testing it out. All of a sudden, you people see people stand up straight and they're like leaning in and listening and yeah. it's like, they're yeah. like, oh, this is a new, we're going to hear something new now. It's also... And that, that we have to thank the fan base for. Yes. Sure. Not just the and, random person who shows and, up and to the unlike, fair. And unlike anybody else out there that actually have a, like a, a trio or whatever and you're playing club gigs or whatever, the, the first song... People are still sitting down. People are still getting beer. People are still settling. So it's kind of almost a throwaway space because it, people aren't completely ready to, to hear their show yet. So it's actually an okay place to start, to try something out. Right. Uh, it seems like it shouldn't be, though. No. <laughs> and I would say that if you're in a club or whatever, that's probably not the... Well, maybe it is. Maybe it's the right place to start it. Because, again, people are still buying their beers. They're still getting settled. It's, maybe it's a good place to try out the, your, your first song. And then you can work in the rest of your set. If you put it in the middle of your set and it doesn't go over well, you come to a screeching halt. Right. And, and, and we, we're, we're issue. also unique in the fact that we're doing a 25-minute set. Right. If you're playing in a bar, you're probably doing 45 minutes if it's a showcase and there's sure. more than one band. Probably. Unless it's a big showcase, then you are doing a half hour. But uh, Or if you're playing, if it's your gig at this place, you're going to do a couple, two or three sets, probably 40, 45 or hour long sets. So we've got 25 minutes to do to give every impression we're going to give you on whether you want to go back and buy any merch or go find us on Spotify or uh, Pandora or wherever it is you listen to music. All of, the, all of that stuff, we've only got a small window of time to convince you that we're worth listening to. As a side note, if you're uh, if you're used to doing obscure British Isle folk music, you're probably used to people not knowing your music anyway. Right. But that being said, I think a trap that fall that you can fall into, and this is where you you made up your mind was instead of doing stuff that you like to do, you know, we all like to perform. You want to give the audience Fuck what that they want. Yeah. Well, look, at you, you are very passionate about I that. Yes, I am. For yeah. those of you that can't see him, he's shaking his head right now, and it's very yes because <laughs> that that. That attitude makes me livid. Why? Because you're not there for yourself. You're there for the audience. What do you mean by that? I don't understand. I want. I'm the a musician. Audience, they should. They should be appreciating what I'm doing. They paid to be entertained by you. You and their entertainment should come first. But my period. music's good. I've made That's this great. music that I want them to know. I I refuse to fall in love with any song I've written. That's a really good any note. song I've written. I will not do it because I don't know if it's good or not. They're going to tell me whether the song is good. Can you say that again? <laughs> the I don't know if the song is going to be good or not. The audience is going to tell me if the song is going to be good or not. That should belongs on a t-shirt. That's yeah. genius. However, if I may counterpoint, uh, <laughs> I can still fall in love with every song I wrote. Even if I, even if the audience doesn't like it or doesn't uh, respond to it, doesn't mean I'm not proud of it or that I don't play it no, at home by myself. That's that's fine. And, and there are songs that I'm happy with that I particularly like. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean they're going to be in the show. Exactly, exactly. I've got several songs that I like that, that we You wrote. two are both writers, right? And there's right. that old saying, um, in order to make a successful story or successful, you have to learn to kill your babies, which is a terrible, terrible saying, but but it's, it's basically <laughs> about you can't, well, you can't be attached to some uh, plot line or a plot thread or a character that you're, re you, you, sure. that you're emotionally attached to. Right. Sometimes you have to take a broad look at the story and go, this is all dreck, this is stupid, mm -hmm. this doesn't count. And you have to be, when in the editing process, you have to be yes. ruthless 
in but this keeping extends it clear. even beyond that this is like we've maybe recorded the song already we've put it out there but our but and this, and this really only counts for our reef sets because our reef sets are like uh, the central part and it, it is the reason why we have the listenership that we have yeah as a band is because of that stuff so that stuff has to reach a certain bar and we are not capable of determining whether or not it's going to reach that bar. We're very good at reaching bars, but it's a different bar. <laughs> very right. good, very good. Yeah, that's before <laughs> I, the show and after the show. I also think that uh, even if you're playing in a in a quiet, mellow folk group, it's important to curate your, your show around yeah. what keeps uh, people sitting and listening. Because that's the end game as a musician. The end game is not to sit around and play scales in your house or play things for yourself. You can do that on your own. This is about giving the people what they want. Right. And... and, and you can be in a band and not have that philosophy. And I think that's fine. Um, in fact, there are people who like, because uh, 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 it just closed down uh, coffee gallery backstage. Oh yeah. I don't right. know if you guys remember that Bob Stain, who used to own, uh, I think he owned it. Uh, the ice house comedy club uh-huh. in Pasadena uh, opened up this small venue in the back of this coffee house in Altadena. When we say is, small, we mean small. It's like small. the size of this garage. 40, I think it seats 40 or 45 it. yeah. it's, ti- it's tiny venue. But it's got a stage. It's got a, he had a nice sound system. It was an air-conditioned space, and which do, is important. Because he knew all these people. Like, famous people yeah. would wander in there and just try stuff out. It was yeah. so weird. Yeah. Like, now, if Yngwie Malmsteen would be playing. If you, if you play stage. at a place like that, those are people who, they may not have ever heard of you before. Yeah. They're just there because they love music. Or for a and, cup of coffee. And... And you can go and do something like that there in that setting and do songs that we would never consider doing on the Rogue's Reef stage at Fair. Sure, Because that's a very specific venue with very specific expectations. Yes. So we should Know your audience. Yeah, we should play the song. Okay. We haven't played the song yet. Oh! we're going to play the song now. Okay. She's me favorite lass on land or sea. It probably means there's something wrong with me. Upon her finger a diamond ring My sweeting wants to wait till we're wed By that I mean she won't share a bed By that I mean she's into celibacy By that I mean she won't have sex with me By that I mean she won't have sex with him She's me favorite lass on land or sea It probably means there's something wrong with me If it wasn't for that one little thing I'd hang upon her finger a diamond ring My sweet ting likes to piss on me face Each time we finish with a lost embrace It's all over me from north to south And she gets extra horny if it gets gets extra horny when it gets in your mouth she's me favorite lass on land or sea it probably means there's something wrong with me if it wasn't for that one little thing i'd hang upon her finger a diamond ring my sweet ting likes to crap on me chest a depth bird steamer, she says they're the best I wonder if 
I should say anymore. Maybe I should just go hire a whore. Or find a lass of myth and lore. She's me favorite lass on land or sea. It probably means there's something wrong with me. If it wasn't for that one little thing, I'd hang upon her finger a diamond ring. She's me favorite lass on land or sea. It probably means there's something wrong with me. If it wasn't for that one little thing, I'd hang upon her finger a diamond ring. I'd hang upon her finger a. And there you go. Nice ending note there, Phil. I, I hadn't heard that after I laid the track down. Uh, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about how we recorded this, because I don't think we've ever talked about that. You, uh, Stu, have, uh, first of all, the Boggards is basically an acapella group, and we really, really, really need to all sing together in order to tune to each other, and we get that fat sound when the chords lock. But to record Almost that, all of our original music was acapella, except for like three or four songs. But recording that that way is a nightmare the space involved the fucking with the mics is terrible it, i i i'm of the opinion if you if you are well rehearsed enough to do it acapella songs should be recorded live i agree get everyone in the studio set up uh, uh, 300 mics or, or stereo <laughs> mics set up like an everywhere pattern or something and just record it live because trying to record acapella stuff track by track Forget it. It's hard. Yeah. Well, it's and that's hard. What... And, it's, and we've always had problems with it. our last CD, Triskaidekaphobia. Yeah, we cut an acapella song from that. Drink old England dry. We were going to re-record Which it. We've been doing for forty years or something. Thirty. Yeah, 30. Well, the forty. Right. Why do you keep going with this forty? 40? It's thirty. Okay. Thirty. <laughs> Ish. Well, I'm I glad mean, we got that clear. Yeah. Anyway, but I've never let the facts get in the way of a good that, story. And, and that song we've been doing since like. Year one, because yeah. that's one of the songs I stole from Good Company when we first started doing them. And rearranged. It's yours. We, re we rearranged it a little. Um, but I don't think there was ever actually a written arrangement for it. No. But um, so I, we, we tried to. We, we ended up here's we end up recording everything track by track or or line um, yes. uh, part by part um, nowadays because it's a our studio isn't very big and b it we gave us the most control again harking back to people with different skill sets the most control over getting the best sound out of people you can fix you can fix ragged cutoffs if someone's out of tune you've got them on a separate track you can if you need to tweak something you right. can do it so you can make the track sound nice that way unfortunately uh, for some reason doing acapella stuff tracking it that way and what we did is we had we went in and we had most of the band in there go and record a live track that we all then sang to mm -hmm. and it still doesn't didn't happen no it's it we ended up having to cut the song from the desk because it it wanders uh the meter isn't right it just it's really really hard yeah, now the, had we all recorded it live as one big thing it would have sounded fine but because we're trying to do it line by line track by track it just there's there's a magic there. Whatever it is, the chords locking, the blend yeah. just doesn't isn't there. And I think it is. It's a lot of the blend. When all 
13 of us are singing. We all adjust just just slightly our sound and our pitch to get those chords to lock. Our pitch a lot in some cases. Our pitch a lot. But (laughs) but when we're all singing individually, we're all just, it's just our voice and we don't, the blend goes And in the studio, you know, you might be showing off, you might be trying something new and it's not what we do a lot. So anyway, to bring us back to when we recorded this, again, you you laid down as the Zook part. Yeah. Right, and mm-hmm. then you went in and or sang your part on top of that. Yeah, I sang the my verse and the my choruses. Right, and then Phil went in and sang his part, and then I went in and sang my part. And you could do it in various different ways depending on. You and know, then Phil went in and dropped the drum line, and then after you guys were gone, I put the bass line in. Yep, and that's kind of the way we work these days. Yeah, um, it's efficient. It's fast, but it may or may not give us the best product, but it does give us a product that comes out fairly quickly. Yeah. Well, I mean, for I think for, for most of the songs we do, non-acapella songs, which primarily is pretty much all we do now, um, it works. It, it is the best way to record. I agree. Yeah. Um, and I think the, 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 the funny thing is, I almost always record by myself now. Mm-hmm. It's like, because I'll go through... And because I sing, I, I always put in a, one or two bass lines because we, tra- we, we double track our basses because you need more bass. And always. Because basses, when you're singing at the bottom of your range, you're not going to be loud. And in my stereo, I always turn the loudness on and always had the bass cranked over. Right. Everybody EQs it bass heavy. You have to. I don't. Well, <laughs> because I, I'm listening to I'm listening to mixes in my car sometimes, yeah. and I want to make sure what I'm hearing is accurate. Okay, that's not fair. not bass boosted. But we will record. We will double track Stork, and we'll double track Lurch, and then I'll go in and and usually at like six thirty or seven o'clock in the morning, I have not spoken or vocalized at all. Oh right, yes, this is an this is a very good trick for bass. Yes, <laughs> and I'll yeah. come I'll come in here on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning. I'll load the track up, and then I will sing. In some cases, almost the whole baseline an octave lower than it's written, if I have the, if I have the um, the range to do that. But if I don't, I'll drop down to. What would happen? I just was thinking about shutting the door so that any bleeding noise doesn't oh, come in. Fine. All right, it'll be fine. Uh, my, I have dogs. You, you. At some point, you will hear them. <laughs> <laughs> they scratch the door. They want to come in and record something. Right, but um, I will. Uh, I'll, I'll come in and I'll record the bass tracks and I'll. I have like a low B mm-hmm. first thing in the morning. It's gone by my first cup of coffee. So <laughs> this is not unique to you. This no. is an old trick. And I actually heard about it uh, on on interview with Jim Ladd, who used to do this wonderful, and he, he was talking to the producer of The Doors, and he said what, what he used to do is he would wake Jim Morrison up early, which was probably like noon, <laughs> bring him into the studio, but I'll have him say a word. No, don't, 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 come on. And he would come in and he would lay in like, you know, come on, baby. And he would lay in. Warm, syrupy voice. Right. right. And then as, you know, a couple of takes in, his voice would warm up and that sound was gone. But that's in a lot of the the George songs. That's what he did to get that original sound. Right. Um, so valid at the door. If it's good enough for the doors, it's good enough for any one of us. Sure. So. But we, yeah, almost almost every track I record, I record in right sitting in this chair I'm in right now. Before I don't, your coffee. I don't use yeah. the booth. Yeah. I, yep. and I, that, Zook tracks too. Bass, everything. And I know my voice varies a lot too. Like yesterday, I wasn't in a very good bass voice. Today, for whatever reason, I'm in a better bass voice. It's very strange how right. your voice can do that. And sometimes you have to compensate by getting up early and just doing it. It's it's just what happens. Yeah. It's um. You want to talk about the creation of the song a little bit? Like, first of all, I'm always amazed, Stuart. You kind of did in the beginning. Well, about this song. But I'm always amazed at how you come up with a melody. 
That's a mystery to it's me. It's one of the last things I do. I well, I like okay. I've never understood how you're how you're able to do that because it's just I mean that maybe that's the songwriter's gift. That's why not everybody can write a song. But you just you lay chords down. In this case, it's GCD. Well, sometimes the chords will dictate where the song is going to go if you yeah. if you come up with a chord pattern first. How many how many songs are in GCD? And then the melodies are completely different on the top of them. Oh, yeah. And that's yeah. the thing that's always fascinated me about that's songwriters. How, Thank how, God, or all, all songs would sound the same. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's how Ed Sheeran won his case. You know, right. He was well, playing, yeah. He played like six songs for the for the jury. With the same chord progression. With the same chord progression and played like six songs. You're, the first Bogfest you guys brought up, you did that. You played three. The 14541 thing. Right, yeah. but it, and it, it was it was like uh, every song ever written. Uh, Louis Louis La Bamba I don't, I don't remember the rest of them Yeah mm-hmm. we did that years and years ago There's some trio that's got a TikTok video I've, With yeah, millions I've of views I've seen them We did that freaking 30 years ago yeah. There's a comedy <laughs> routine about uh, Pachelbel's Canon too About how right. uh, like what happens when Ramones took it yeah. uh, yeah, Oh it's, yeah It's everywhere That's what happens when only teenagers watch TikTok They don't know what happened 30 years ago right. So they're watching these guys <laughs> Oh yeah. what a great new idea <laughs> So just briefly When you were writing this song You had the chords and then what did I you, did, how did I, you do it? Normally, when, I, when I'm writing a song, the first thing that's going to come to me is a chorus, the lyrics for the chorus. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing that will come to me. And then I will ch- attempt to write verses. Like, I've got one right now. I've got a really freaking funny chorus, and I can't come up with verses for it. Um, but then I will write verses that fit somehow with the chorus. Then I sit down with my bazooki, and I try to come up with a melody while I'm experimenting with chorus. And try and because I'm doing all three at once at that point. I'm trying to come up with what the chords are. I'm trying to figure out what the key is going to be, and I'm trying to figure out what the melody is going to be all at the same time. Sometimes I succeed. <laughs> Sometimes are there, I don't. are there a lot of little unfinished Sue songs lying around where the chords isn't finished yep. or the chords aren't right or something? Oh yeah, there's yeah. tons of them. What? And there's finished songs that you guys have never seen too. Or it's like. Yeah, well, I, just, I, I hold on to them because it's like there's something about it I like, yes, yeah. and maybe someday I'll get rid of all the rest of the nonsense and come up with. I just uploaded a, a, one of them to uh, our Slack page because um, I wrote something called the Out of Beer Blues, mm-hmm. and I sent it to Stephen, who's uh, the songwriter. I was the lyricist, he's a songwriter, and uh, he put something together, and we've I've, we've never brought it to the band. Right. Yeah. And it's important sometimes to never throw any of that stuff away because, and I heard this from Ray Bradbury a million years ago. Ray Bradbury would never, he would write sometimes just paragraphs and sometimes whole stories or parts of stories, but he didn't throw them away. He would throw them away. And then later he'd come back and revisit them and go, now what was wrong with this again? Boy, this seems really good. And then he would finish mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. or he would rewrite it because it inspired him. Oh, I know what I was, you know, and he would fix it. Yep. So oftentimes a song that you hated in the moment, when you go and revisit it in a year, you're like, why did yeah. I hate this again? Never throw it this away. isn't so bad. Never right. Throw it away. Yeah, you never know. I mean, I, I, I've written three fantasy novels, the Mandite Chronicles, <laughs> if you want to go, which are still available on Amazon, on Amazon, print on demand, and Kindle. Yeah. Uh, oh, as long as we're pu- pushing books, I'll get to one. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can do yours too. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but um, I start. I've 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 tried attempted to write that fourth book five times. I got more than twenty chapters in. Yeah. I fucking deleted the whole thing. Oh no! <laughs> but you, on purpose. Yeah. Right. It's like this is not working. Yeah. <laughs> Delete. Just to get and rid you, of the you file. You feel it was anything worth saving from nope. it? Nope. Let's go start again. And anything that's worth saving, you remember because it's an outline right. or whether it's. In I mean, I killed head. one of the main characters in it, and I I may keep that because, and the way it happened, that might happen. I, but I I can it's remember a, that. Yeah. Right. I don't need the. I don't, I don't, need, I don't to, need a document to know yeah. exactly. I don't how, need to go through 130 <laughs> pages of to remind you. of prose I don't like to find it. I want to get back to uh, 
uh, lyric writing or coming up with an idea like I always find it fascinating Uh, for me as a as a lyric writer first of all we don't write anything Steven's not the kind of guy who would just write riffs and record them and wait for lyrics to come or you know he doesn't sit on riffs he has to get the lyric and get inspired by what he's reading before a chord comes so the lyrics come first in our case and I don't write anything until I'm inspired by an idea, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Sometimes it's just a title. And sometimes Stephen, was, like the last one of the last songs we wrote, Stephen threw me threw me a, a text and he said, "Whiskey Dick, mm-hmm. can you do something?" I just heard somebody say, "Whiskey Dick." It's about a guy who drinks too much and he can't get it up. He says, "Can you write something about?" I said, and then I gave it a shot and I thought, um, "I can't rhyme anything with whiskey." Everyone says, "Frisky." Okay, fine, Frisky. But That's I'm not it. making a song about whiskey and Frisky. Frisky so, prick. Right. So I said. <laughs> So I was trying to figure out, can I write? Because once I get a couple of rhymes going, then I have a chorus, then I can get going. And you got a good yeah, bass rhyme for that. Yeah. So once once I changed it to rum dick, everything rhymes with rum. Or so, dick. And dick. So suddenly it was very easy to rhyme that thing. And I stole the rhyming pattern actually from Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. This oh, is no, like, we all steal from each other. He well, stole from, from Moss Dev and, and, uh, and Jay-Z. So, you know. And it's not like the rhyming pattern is unique. Like, oh my God, it's no. been around but, since Gilbert you, Sullivan. And, and as far as I'm concerned, you, you pull your inf- inspiration from wherever you get it. Absolutely. And uh, that particular one was, was uh, from him. But anyway, so that was the... And the other one, the most recent one, uh, Stu said... Uh, Something about uh, getting, uh, you want to marry a virgin, right? Or, or the woman's a virgin and you want to write a song about, I'm thinking, you said, I was thinking write a song about a woman who won't have sex until marriage. And oh. I sat and I, and I put something down and it, you said to me, this is nowhere near where I thought this was going. We were out at fair. Yeah. And you just dropped it like and, uh, yeah. here. I, and that, there again, that's one of those things where I came up with a line. You didn't even end up using the line nope. I came up nope. with in it. I don't even nope. remember what it was. Yeah, it was something about not waiting until my, marriage. M- mine was no hymen, no diamond. No hymen, no it. diamond. Right? That was it. And I, I think I think I thought I'm not writing that. But what I am writing. But I, so I wrote. So what I did was uh, I was inspired Still by makes me laugh. by the line from uh, a movie I saw in the '80s, Out of Africa. And the guy says to uh, Meryl Streep, he says, "I always knew I wanted to marry a virgin because I can't stand criticism." <laughs> Well, that, I mean... That's you know, a great line. That's a great line. So I wrote it. <laughs> the song I wrote was basically, I'm glad she's a virgin on our wedding night. She'll have no idea how bad I am. Yeah. And that's what go. I wrote. It's a and boggard that, song. And, st- and if you want a bridge, then you can put the no hymen to none. I'm still going to push Maybe we can have like a, a background <laughs> chant going during the solo. I had a, I have a similar story, I actually, but I, I gave it to Stu one day. This is You might remember this, but I, I remember it distinctly. I, I had known you'd just come back from England, from Bath, and you you were still sort of high on the whole, like, I've been to England. and, and Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I called you up one day because I had this inspiration. Yep. I said, this pub that we call home, and there was a short mm. pause, and he goes, mm-hmm. I'm on it. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's about the hub. hub. I got it. I know it. And, and, and at that point, and I think literally the, that next week, you had the whole song fully because fleshed out. Because I, I had been to one of the funnest bars I went to in the entire trip when we went to London and Bath, and we went to a lot of bars mm-hmm. and pubs, sorry, um, was called the Lambretta Freehouse, which is, apparently has changed dramatically now. But back then, it was they served cast-conditioned ales, and they had a whole bunch of different ones. Very friendly staff. Fun place. It was really neat. The guy, I, I, we were at the time we were listening to Liverlet. We were listening to the mixes for Liverlet Die, mm-hmm. I think. And so I had a little um, CD, little those little portable CD players with earbuds because I was listening and taking notes while I was sitting in the pub. The barkeep comes by and he's like, "What are you listening to?" He says, "Oh, it's my band." He says, "Oh, give me the disc." And he goes and he puts it in the in the. Uh, 
uh, jukebox than the jukebox for the CD player yeah. and play and, and starts playing the songs and people are like, well, yeah, that's kind of cool. That's your band, yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, is why we're now world famous. That's right. Because <laughs> because that CD is in that jukebox and probably still is. It might be. I don't know. I don't know. But I knew it's doing. But come I, back. I left it. I he yeah. opened the thing up, put it in, and locked it. And I didn't ask for the disc back because I had a second one. So I'm like, mm, leave that in there. Yeah, why not? And I knew Stu had come back from this. And I had, for whatever reason, thought about this. And I the, that title, this pub that we call home, it popped into my head. Uh, so I, I called Stu. This is like on the phone. And said, and said Stu, I have a, a, an idea. He goes, okay, let me hear it. And I said, do this. And there was a pause. He goes, I'm on it. Because I knew that Stu was yeah. in the right mindset. And that was one of those point. songs I, that got written in like a half hour. Right. Yeah. But but yeah. it took that title. Yes. And everything fell into place. And yep. and Stu and I have known each other long enough that we shared a mind. So you know, the inspiration for the song can come from anywhere, which is yes. really interesting. I, I find the titles are very important for me. For By the way, the same is true with Stephen and I. We've known each other so long. We, <laughs> you were womb mates. We were womb mates. <laughs> <laughs> so the inspiration for the song, I'm always just fascinated in the actual creation of the music of the songs because that's just something that I've never been able to do. Maybe because I've never mastered an instrument well enough to do that. And the instruments that I have mastered are, are wind instruments and you can't actually sing while you're playing them. No. <laughs> That but, sentence wasn't going where I thought it was going. I, I know. I never wrote a song because I've never mastered it. I was like, where's he going with that? <laughs> never mastered an instrument. Never well mastered an instrument. Oh, thank God he yeah. said that. Well, I've mastered that instrument, but yeah. not others. <laughs> anyway. It's, a, it, it's an interesting thing. But then again, I think if everybody who played an instrument well, not everybody that plays an instrument well can write songs. No. It, so there's something about a songwriter's mentality and something about it that well, I was thinking just, of, their uh, brain Art, works differently. Uh, Art Garfunkel said, I, it doesn't matter if I can, I am never writing a song because I'm only going to be com- compared to Paul Simon if I do. Right. So he may have written songs and he's never performed them live. Yeah. It's he won't do it. And maybe this is something we can explore later. Probably the majority of songs I've written have never been heard by anyone but I, me. And I, <laughs> <laughs> Writers talk about that all the time. I think the creation of any art. I think painters have the same problem. It's like there's a lot of paintings over behind that cover that no one's ever going to see. Mm-hmm. Right. Or I paint them over because uh, I needed the canvas. But, Although you know. today, these these days, they can X-ray them and see what was right? underneath. Yeah. Right. I've yeah. seen stuff. Where oh, they seen... did that with um, what is it? What's uh, is it? Pinky and Blue Boy. Blue Boy. Blue Boy. They yeah. found that's a dog. Huntington they... Library. Yeah. 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 There's a dog in, in one, one of the dog. layers yeah. of the painting. Yeah. yeah. And he took the dog out for some I reason. I think well, the dog died, and they didn't want to. I don't know. I'm or making a dog up. tore up the couch. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we can explore this it all stuff a little bit later. Our 17th century settee, <laughs> which that was modern it. at the time. We are no longer immoral- <laughs> we are no longer immortalizing him. We must remove him. From- Get that mud off my painting. Right. I just had that uh, that couch made. <laughs> um, anyway, we can explore it later yeah. about the mindset about creation of music. But it's it's fascinating to me the people that can do that. And again, like, like as I pointed out, there's. Lots of lots of bands out there, but there's only like one or two people that write the songs for the band, and it's not because the other musicians can't play music; they just, for whatever reason, can't write songs, right? Or don't. Yeah, they're two they're two different skills, and there are people I who are so. who are great songwriters who may not be great musicians. And there's also those people that have one great song in them, right? Because we've got a couple of those guys too. <laughs> Feeling attacked. What are you saying? <laughs> no, I'm thinking of John Breen and oh, Up and yeah. Away. Oh yeah, it's which true. is a freaking masterful song, unbelievably good. If uh, and if, he's written one song. Yeah. yeah. If if you if you're a folk aficionado, it's it's a great folk song. It's a great boggard song. It's just a great song. You should go and check it out. Yeah. And he, and he did it all in his head. He didn't write anything down. And, because, and, again, he has never really mastered yeah. an instrument, but he's got double rhymes in there. The, the had, tune is yeah, wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah, bastard. We hate him for it. Uh, however, he, he <laughs> never wrote another one. Or if he did, I, he, I, I take it back. I do remember a time where he was humming 
to us something he had written, and we said, you just rewrote Up and Away. Yeah. And so he said, damn it! And then that was the last of it. Did someone else... It looks like... Oh, people have been... It looks like people have been re-recording it. It's, it's, a, it's a great tune, so... You know, trying to figure out what CD it's on. I don't remember. Oh, it's on uh, Anchor Management. Oh, oh, yeah, it is. There it is, Anchor. Our nautical CD. The nautical. Right. A very naughty nautical. Um, Ooh, naughty nautical. That's a good title. So we're, it, we're, I looked that one up once. It's happened a couple of times. People okay. have done that one. It's We're approaching an hour, so... I blame myself. I'm going to foreshadow... I blame, I blame you, too. Yeah. One of the things, like, if, if the artwork we came up with this... Uh, says folk music and other nonsense or folk music and nonsense is that the little tagline I put at the bottom mm-hmm. of the artwork so I, there, and whenever you have a title or a subtitle it's a promise so we're not going to have any nonsense we're going to foreshadow the nonsense for next time <laughs> but we're apologizing now there's a show <laughs> let me see if I can find the I want to find the because um, one of these one of these podcasts we may wind up talking about Star Wars versus <laughs> or Star Wars versus Star Trek well, the actual music that they did for the for the uh, cantina scene is mm-hmm. actually where he pulled that from. It's actually very interesting. And Lin Manuel Miranda wrote it for the recent movies. He wrote the cantina scene because he said that. Can you say that name one more time? Yeah, that's what I heard. You can't just say Hamilton guy. I just say Hamilton guy. Okay, two about two years ago, I would I had I don't have the subscription anymore, but I had. BritBox, I think, was mm, the, mm-hmm. the streaming service. And that's basically all British television. And I was watching a lot of British procedurals. I was uh, Midsummer Murders, oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. which is like 22 the seasons. The tunnel, now. all of that. Yeah. But, and, and, but one of the shows I stumbled upon was this little show called The Detectorists. Mm. What a title. And it, uh, the the two, I'm trying to remember that, I'm looking up the name of the two guys that were the, uh, the original cast. Um, Mackenzie Crook and Toby Jones. I think those are the two. Toby Jones, yes. He's an actor. I know that guy. Could their names be any more British? Toby Jones. Toby Jones is... um, Is that Mackenzie Crook. Wasn't Toby Jones... Doesn't he play the... uh, In the Captain America? Isn't he the short uh, scientist? Uh, I believe he is. Might be. I know he is. And the other guy... Toby Jones. I don't know if that's them, because I'm assuming they're doing it in order of prominence. The, the list of the cast I don't know but the other guy is one of the two comic relief pirates from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies oh yes he's the one with the 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 uh, weird eye the weird eye yeah the tall he's got one. the oh, tiny yeah. hair yes the tall uh, not, the, really, the, not the bald one not the tall no. lanky one yeah his name the is the tall lanky yeah the tall, the tall lanky one. one his name Mackenzie is it Mackenzie Crook Okay, I think so. yes. I don't. I saw him play the servant in uh, the Merchant of Venice. Actually, Al Pacino's Merchant of Venice. Mackenzie's playing. Oh. Yeah. Was probably, um. Uh, was he not in the office as well? Was that him, or am I thinking of someone? In else? The British, the British version. I might be thinking of someone else. Carry on. I don't. Carry on. Might, it doesn't matter. Boy, that might be him. Yeah. I'm not sure. Anyway, it's a show about these two guys. Now, there's something about British TV. They really make relentless fun of people that live in the countryside. Well, are you kidding me? England, a classist society and snobbery? I'm shocked. Shocked, because, I tell you. I mean, yeah. Midsummer Murders, every episode takes place in... Because Midsummer is I, like, supposed to be like this fictitious county and there's all these little villages within it, right? But it's in the English countryside. It's not as... No, nothing ever takes place in the city. It's all in these rolling hills with big estates and the, you know the little village next to the estate. Right? Making fun of hillbillies is a lot of fun. Come on, it's we. It's fun. We just, in England, they just don't call them hillbillies. No, it's the same basic idea. <clears throat> but um, 
Call them Irish. <laughs> right. The Detectorist takes place in one of these like little small villages out in the English countryside. And it it's about these two characters who are metal detector enthusiasts. Yes. Yep. It's as stupid as it sounds. Just, yep. And I started watching this show and they, they belong to a club. Mm-hmm. And there's like another five members of this club who also are metal detectorists. And they're all oddballs. <laughs> and they're oddballs even compared to the rest of the people in this little village. Because they're detect- metal detectorists. They're metal detector enthusiasts. <laughs> and they started a club. And so... There's so little to do in the country. And the show itself is very cleverly written. And there's... There is a... I don't, I don't want to spoil it. There is a visual joke that happens near the end of the first season that there is build up to... And I, I want to say they're like eight episode seasons or six episode seasons, something like that. But it's leading up... It's those weird BBC seasons where they yeah. do it and then they take like a year and a half off and then pick up again. It's right. So and each episode's like an hour and a half. Yeah. It could be a film. Although I, Detectress is a shorter form. But they foreshadow... It's a it's a concert. The two of them decided to get their old band back together. It's just the two of them. And they're going to sing this song. Just one song. And they're going to sing it at the local pub. And... The whole season, they're foreshadowing this, and this it's performance. so goddamn funny when it actually happens, visually, and I don't want to spoil it by talking about it. Okay. But if you haven't seen it, at least watch the first season of it. I got a lot of free time right and, now. I might. And, oh, God. I'll check it out. I'll check it out on Monday. I want to tell you so much, and, but I'm not, but I can't. Anyway, so, of course, I watch, I think there's two or three seasons of this show. I watch the whole thing, and I'm like... Next thing you know, I'm on fucking Amazon buying, buying a goddamn a... metal detector. Well, that's what I was going to say. You didn't. I did. Metal Why? detector in my goddamn closet. No. Okay. Metal detecting's a big thing right now. There's all these TikToks about people going to like watering holes and metal oh detecting God. and finding watches and things. Yeah. Oh. No, no. It's huge right We're nowhere now. near the Civil War. You got to go back no, east with no, that stuff. No, people are finding like people's Rolexes that came off their, like, like their, their wrists and stuff. Oh. Like you know, these tide pools. People jump off of cliffs and into the water and lose a Rolex and these guys are finding them. All okay. kinds of shit. Okay. So right. I've never taken that. My, here's my promise. By the time we record the next episode, I will have taken this thing out in wee early hours of some weekend morning. Okay. And I'll go to either a park or a playground or someplace nearby here, not far. Yeah. And I will go out for like an hour with this stupid thing <laughs> and a... Freaking shovel and a pickaxe. Stu, promise me, just because I need to see this, I need you to go like down to the beach in like a, a like a, a Hawaiian shirt and like the little gaiters that hold up your socks and like a white junk on your nose. And I need you down there, like yeah, at the shoreline, yeah. you know, like with a with a with little a big trowel. Old man hat yeah, with yeah, the brim. yeah, yeah. No, and if, you know, if there's no headset, you got to wear them anyway. Right, and you got the yeah. big old earphones on, so you can't yeah. hear anybody. Hey, I've got, I already and, got those, and I, and I need that look. Okay, I just yeah. need that look in yeah. my head. You know, so and you're down there at the shoreline trying to find wedding rings yeah. and people's It'll be the, opi- the weep, opening scene weep, of an NCIS weep, episode weep, or something. Weep, yep. Weep, 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 I don't have the little pocket one because they have the... Yeah. I have the big one. You sweep back and forth and it has headphones on it. And I've used it like in my backyard and my front yard. I found a big, long, like uh, square steel pipe that's like 10 feet long. You found, your, ba- you found your sprinkler system. No. No, it was, it was a <laughs> square tube pipe. Like a structural okay. thing you would weld to build it something. Buried in your backyard? And it was buried in this flower bed right out here against ah. the back wall of my backyard. 
So I dug, I'm using it to prop up a piece of fence my dogs tore up. <laughs> good, good thing I found it. And I also found some sprinkler heads in the front yeah. that I didn't know I had. Hey, see, so, it's already paid for and itself. I, and I also, I found a quarter. I found a coin. It was, it wasn't old. It was from like the seventies. Yeah. And it wasn't deep, so I may have dropped it there. Because <laughs> I've been living here for 18 years. Just so you years. had something to find and talk about on the radio. <laughs> right. but, but I will go somewhere, either to a playground or to a park or someplace like that, and go with Listen, the metal detector okay. and see it's what I It's really find. popular right now. There's a lot of older people that do it, but I've also yeah. seen people like go out to old Civil War things, like to your speaking to your point, yeah. Phil, yeah. or old homesteads, or find an old cabin find, in the woods. And they, I saw a TikTok video. They found a bayonet from, yeah. from the Civil Buttons, War. Buttons, buckles. Yeah. Oh, even nails. See, I, I also belong to a bunch of metal detectorist Facebook groups now. Now, <laughs> you really, <laughs> you guy, really when, drink when, the Kool-Aid. Well, two or three of them. How's and that Kool-Aid they, taste, When he dude? gets into it, he gets into yeah, it. And, they pu- and the, the people put up their finds. They'll like yeah. lay out something. They'll put all the things they found that day and take a picture of it and post it. And people My will say, goodness. oh, well, what's that? And the, 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 the running joke in that show, the detectorists, is they keep finding freaking soda can and beer can poles. Well, that's not a joke. That's a thing that actually happened for the longest time back when those, that's one of the reasons they were And they're banned. still finding they're them. They're still finding them. <laughs> Even though, I mean, they got those in the 80s here, they're didn't still, they? They're still, but you're still, they don't go away, Stuart. <laughs> They're aluminum. I think I would think you know. Would... And this this leads into another thing that I have watched an embarrassingly amount of hours or two. It's called mudlarking, and again, it's very British. They, they, well, you go out on the estuaries of the Thames and you go find old bottles that have washed out from Victorian times, which are worth, some of them are worth a lot of money. Some of them are even Roman pottery. It's called mudlarking. And you go poke around at the edge of the Thames and you find coins and pottery. and yeah, Basically, and... same thing. It's just you don't have the technology right. yeah. with you. You just right. like... go like dig through yeah. it is that what you like I'll, we'll talk about it later okay, all right, it's like yeah. 2,000 years of British history you can imagine what's at the bottom of the Thames that uh, washes up a little or, bit that's the one thing I'm kind of worried about doing it here yeah it's too new There's no you'll find all kinds of stuff but see you'll find arrowheads or yeah yeah, yeah but those aren't metal no no right, I got so, a metal detector yeah. you're gonna find <laughs> a lot of rock point. detector you got about you're gonna find a lot of pull tabs and bottle caps yeah you got about two. I'll probably years. find a lot of coins yeah, and again, that's why some of these people go to swimming holes because they know that people jump in and they lose their cell phone, they lose their you watch, know, they lose their wedding would, rings. Yeah. You know, where I would go is one of the missions because those some of those missions have been around since the 1700s. Hey, you know that you got to be a lot of places there, especially historic places. Yeah, mm-hmm. they get real finicky. Well, they get you, real you can't actually, about that. You can't actually take it off their land. I know in Britain but when they do metal I detecting. fully expect wherever it is I go, if a cop drives by, he's going to pull up and want to know what I'm doing. Okay. In Britain, in <laughs> Britain, they, good point. In Britain, there's all these detectorists that walk yeah. around because it is a thing, and they keep stumbling into i don't want to say keep but they every 10 years or so somebody comes upon a viking horde well see that's that in that series one of the things they're trying to find is that mythical big find and, where they find you know a buried yeah, ship yeah. that belonged to a, either a viking or an old ancient king or something but you yeah. can't take yeah. it off the land all that land is owned by people and if you right. stumble upon a viking horde even though they didn't know it was there and you did the work they still own it because okay. it's their property well according to the metal detector book that oh, i bought actually, and read <laughs> because <laughs> i did um generally the way it works is if you're on private land mm-hmm. you have to go to whoever owns the right. land and right up front you're gonna say before you even find shit you have an agreement that you have them sign that says we're gonna agree to you know uh, split 50 50 any proceeds made from selling any of the stuff that we find here or or whatever that split is because <clears throat> they all tell you and they say all of this on the on the 
Facebook groups too, is is get that get that agreement up front and get it signed mm-hmm. by both of you. That way, you, they don't have. Oh no, that's you found it on my land. Right. It's my property because right. the stuff has happened. They've also in Britain have a law that if you find an archaeological of something of archaeological significance, whether it's a stone or that that you have to call in the British Museum and they come in and and they, so sometimes you might find a hoard, but you have to give it over to the, the the British Museum and they will examine it for a year or two and then perhaps give it back to you or pay you for it or whatever. That stuff comes up in that show. Yeah. In it's that an series. interesting thing. Anyway, this is all. So by the next episode, whenever we decide to record the next episode, and I don't know when that will be. We can we talk will, about detectoristing. We'll talk about detectoristing. <laughs> and maybe I will have been fined. Yeah. Because it may not even be legal in the city of You Bethlehem. might be retiring. Yes, we'll talk about your time in prison. Anyone want to predict what I'll find? I'm going to say bottle caps and pull tabs. Okay. Uh... Jimmy Hoffa. He's not metal. Oh, maybe the bullets. Yeah. If they shot him first. Right, right. Or Who his knows? watch. Who knows? I think Buttons I will. on his coat. I think I will find one coin that was minted prior to 1950. Okay. That's my prediction. That's really I'll find that's one. Very ambitious. I don't. I'm not saying I will. But that's my prediction. Uh, again, this is all like where you are too. It's like right. if you're if you're out in the hills up by the up by you know the old abandoned gold mines, which there are a lot of, you might actually find like a small nugget or something, but, or nails, probably lots and lots of nails. Yeah. But if you're, if you're here in town around a playground, chances are you're going to find a lot of bottle caps from the dads that had to watch the kids play on the slide. Coins that were in people's (laughs) pocket that (laughs) fell out. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Probably. Oh, there's like, there was one guy that posted, here's all of the rings I've found since I started. And he's been doing it for like five years or Mm -hmm. something. And he found, he says, I always sell the gold ones. Yeah. But he has he had a bunch of silver and white gold rings left that he kept. And it was just... A significant amount. Like 40 of them. Yeah, it's like $300 worth of stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've probably looked all, at it too. It's interesting. Yeah. They're probably all breakups. Just take that ring and just toss it. <laughs> Throw it in the sand. you. In sandbox. And in all seriousness, when I'm in my 70s or 80s, I, it's a great way to get exercise. It keeps you. It's interesting. It keeps you sharp. I don't. I wouldn't it's mind like, walking like, around on the beach. It's like know. golf, but it's treasure hunting. But it's treasure hunting. Yeah. <laughs> and there's that little rush you get, and you can just walk along the beach and look yeah. at all the people and metal detectorist. Right. Okay. Normally, you do it in the morning. Sure. When the tide or when the tide's out, so that you can right. have all the rings that fall off of people's hands. I know. So all right. So my book. No, I'm okay. Go ahead. Uh, 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 just so you know, it's, it's also an Amazon. I wrote it. I wrote three small ones, and I wanted something that was big enough I could see my own name on the spine. So I finally put them all together into a single <laughs> volume called Band Bar. Uh, I said it wrong. Bard Band and Broadway, which is the first book is my time teaching Shakespeare. Second was about the band and our time in Ireland. Uh, I mean, uh, my trip to Ireland, and then uh, the third one's about my time on Broadway. So I put them all together into a single book called Bard Band and Broadway, available on Amazon. I haven't written any books. I'm not going to subject anybody to that. Okay. Not All yet. right. Not yet. Maybe someday I'll write my memoirs. It'll be one chapter. I already have a title for my memoirs. So we're we're we're, we're approaching an hour fifteen. Uh-huh. Now. So yeah. bad. Yeah. Uh, now, to those listening to this show, we want feedback. We want to know what you think, mm-hmm. what you like, what you don't like, what interests you. Uh, I don't want to like open up the floodgates, but if there's songs that you would like us to hear, uh, traditional songs that don't have copyright that are in the public domain, that's important because that, otherwise that screws us up. Um, if there's a song that you would like to, like a request that you'd like to 
hear us hear us do or something along those lines uh, or any feedback you have about the show or any questions or any information about like if you are a metal detectorist and you're sure. like hey here's some tips on where you can go in the or if you've area. written a song about metal detectorists that you want arranged <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but you can uh, let's see you can email us at contact at netbusker.net that's contact at netbusker.net and we will probably if we get interesting emails or entertaining emails maybe we'll even read them on the show and I want to sure. I want to belabor this point because it's worked for us very well in the past yes if you have a question or even a comment on one of our things that you want it fleshed out let us know because yeah. uh, sometimes a question is, makes a very good jumping off point for a long discussion and clearly we can ramble on and on and on about Oh yeah, about yeah one so. one good email could be the entire episode. So yes, if you have a question that you want answered or uh, clarified on, please let us know. Yep. And give us some uh, give us some stuff to talk about. So that contact at netbusker.net and I will make a note to make sure I set that email address up before we release this episode. <laughs> what a good idea. <laughs> I, it, it may already exist. I'm not sure. That's it, Dude, my email bounced back. What happened? <clears throat> well, yeah, we will, this will this will be released into the ether at some point. Now, the other thing that we're not sure about is how often these episodes are going to come out because this is this is time consuming to do these because we are rehearsing songs, recording songs, and then coming in. The sitting around talking just takes us whatever the runtime of the right. talking is, but the stuff leading up to that is hours. So we're not sure. I would like to do at least once a month. But we'll talk about it off air. If we could do it every other week, that would be cool. But we need to have, we need to like build up kind of a catalog of episodes first before mm-hmm. we did that. So that's it. Uh, and uh, we will assume, like right now, I started playing the music. Thank you for joining us. That was season two, episode one of the Netbusters Photoshop. And we'll see you next time. Bye. That Bye, thank you. Bye, thank you. The preceding program has been a presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Bum 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 bum